Jeremiah chapter 14. Well, it's good to be together on the Lord's Supper, the evening that we remember the Lord's death. Remember the symbol of the linen sash, right? We, we want to be fit tight to the Lord Jesus. We want to be close to him and not to be soiled and put into the dirt, into the earth, living according to the world's gods and principles. But we want to be um, for the praise, honor, and glory of God. Then we have the smashed wine bottles. We have the, the mountain traveler, the crashing crowns, and these droughts in chapter 14. The droughts are just evidence that God is going to fulfill his covenant. If the nation Israel puts their faith in him alone and trusts him and has no other God but the one true God, he will bless their families, their houses, their economy, their land. He will just give blessing and blessing. Even militarily, he will give them blessing. But if they serve other gods and leave the one true God to love the gods of this world, God said he will give them every, every um, disease. He will give them every plague. He will have them great military losses. The, the land will dry up. The animals will die. The children will be taken captive. The women will be ravaged. And the husbands will be killed. Nothing good in the curses list of the covenant. And Jeremiah 14, it's clear that God is willing to enact the covenant. And for their rebellion, they, they receive the droughts. If they don't change their heart, it's going to get worse. It'll bring them to captivity. So let's begin in chapter 14, verse 7, as we first pray. Thank you, Father, for the book of Jeremiah. And we understand it's a harsh book. It's full of judgment. And this pe people are hard-hearted. They want to live according to the dictates of their own hearts. They do not love you. They do not want to follow your word. They don't want to be under your authority. They want to live lives of freedom and liberation. But it enslaves them to sin, and it brings them to cheapness and scandal and, and nakedness and shame and guilt and misery and ultimately death. So what they wanted, they could only find in you, but they refused to turn to you for it. So help us in the church age to remember these things as we live out our lives in grace and truth. For the glory of Jesus, amen. So Jeremiah 14, in verse 7, we now get what I believe is to be Jeremiah's prayer on behalf of the people. He's probably going around saying, people, if you want the drought to end, if you want God's blessing, then return to him in faith. Trust him. Look at what Jeremiah 14, 7 says. Oh, Lord, though art, and I don't, I don't think this is the prayer of the nation. They were hard-hearted to the core, but this is Jeremiah's desire. Oh, Lord, though our iniquities testify against us. All right, they do. Our sin testifies that we need a savior. Do it for your namesake. Save us for your namesake, God, for our backslidings are many. Look at the confession. Our backslidings are many. We have sinned against you. These are wonderful words of confession and repentance, but they weren't from the heart of the people. Verse 8. Look at these names. Oh, the hope of Israel, his Savior in time of need, in time of trouble. Isn't Jesus the hope? Absolutely. He's the Savior. Why should you be like a stranger in the land? You know what a stranger in the land is? They just turn aside and mind their own business. You go to a strange city and you get a hotel. You don't all of a sudden start running for counsel and changing things and you don't start putting the park and playground together. You're just there as a traveler. You're, you're just there for the night. You're going to go on your way. God, why do you just come to our, our city? Why do you come to our, our land of Judah? And then you like, it's like you're passing through. You don't care about us? Come on, God. Don't you care? Do you see their attitude? Um, and like a, a traveler who turns aside to tarry for a night, verse 9, why should you be like a man astonished, 
like a mighty one who cannot save. God, why are you like a soldier who comes in and you don't know how to use your weapons and you can't help us in the time of trouble? Yet, Lord, you, O Lord, are in our midst and we are called by your name. Do not leave us. Well, the answer is God is going to leave them. He goes on and says in verse 10, some of this, I I wrote in my notes in my Bible, scariest verse in the Bible. Believe it or not, if you want the scariest verse in the Bible, it's this verse, verse 10. Thus says the Lord to his people, thus they have loved to wander. Oh, they love to wander in this world. They have not restrained their feet. Therefore, the Lord does not accept them. He will remember their iniquity now and punish their sins. Do you see why that's the scariest verse? Listen, everybody. If God remembers Brian Weeda's sins, if he remembers one of my sins, since I was conceived in sometime in 66, when I was conceived and born in 67, until the day I die, if God remembers one sin... That's all it takes. I will be in a lake of fire for eternity. If he remembers my sin, if he will not forgive me, that is the scariest verse, that God would remember our sin. But when you put your faith in Jesus, what happens? My whole record of sin is wiped clean. They are tossed into the depths of the sea. They are as far as from the east is to the west. Literally, they have been erased and can be remembered no more. See, isn't that great about the gospel? Our sins are remembered no more. I can't wait. You know, all eternity, God will never bring up a a sin. He's he's not going to be like, oh, Brian, by the way, remember that day? What day is it today? May 1st. Remember May 1st, 2022? Oh, I caught you. Ah, guilty, guilty. He'll never do that game with us. Never. Simply, we are his children with a clean record. By grace, through faith, are we saved. We are positionally as clean and perfect as Jesus. So he says the scariest thing, I will remember your iniquity and I will punish your sins. And what's the punishment for sins? The wages of sin is death. And death means separation. Not just your heart stops. Death means separation. Now, I'm not going to go there tonight, but Jeremiah 31 verse 34, God says, I'm going to make a new covenant with Israel and a new covenant with Judah. And part of my covenant, remember how God loves covenants? In Jeremiah 31, God says, In my new covenant, I will forgive their sin and remember their iniquity no more. Jeremiah 31, 34. Also Hebrews chapter 10. But God says, In the new covenant, when you put your faith in me, Israel and Judah, I will never remember a sin and everyone will be forgiven. You don't do that? Then I'll remember everyone and punish you. See, scariest verse. Verse 11. Then the Lord said to me, Do not pray for this people for their good. While they fast, I will not hear. See, the people were religious. They were very religious. They were fasting. God says, I don't, I don't hear them when they're fasting. What were they doing when they're fasting? I bet the people of Judah were like this. All right, everybody, no eating on Saturday. We're going to be religious. So no eating on Saturday. We love the Lord. All right? Although the rest of the week they were serving many other gods, even on Saturday when they, when they were fasting, they were serving other gods. They thought by fasting it would somehow cover their sin and, and just give them easy access to God. God says, when they fast, I will not hear their cry. And when they offer burnt offerings, is there anything with, wrong with offering a burnt offering? They were voluntary. You would just go select an animal out of your flock or your herd 
And the price of the animal was dependent on how much you loved the Lord. You loved the Lord a little, give him a little lamb. If you really love the Lord, give him your only ox. And people were doing that. They're like, all right, wife, I'm going to go kill that ox. We're going to give it to God. And God's like, I don't want it, and I will not acknowledge it. Do not give me your burnt offerings. He says, when they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. But I will consume them by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. God hates religion. I put that in my Bible. God hates religion. He hates doing things without being. He hates it when we just play out the actions, but our heart is not in it. It has to be a heart of faith. Now, you know what, Jeremiah? Jeremiah is smart. He's like you and I in this text. Do you know what he's thinking now? Hey, wait a minute, God. He's trying to protect the people, like a good shepherd would. He's like, wait a minute, God. It's really not the people's fault. It's all those false teachers. Like we could even say, hey, it's all the contemporary preachers who aren't preaching the gospel. It's the Jehovah's Witnesses stealing our people. It's the Mormons. It's uh, the, the Muslims. It, people are flocking to those religions that are false. And even the social gospel people and the, all the big name people that have 100,000 people come into, their, to come into their big stadiums, and yet they're not hearing the gospel. People are not getting saved and hearing the gospel because it's not being preached. These people are innocent. They've just been caught in the lies of a false teacher. Doesn't it make sense? Why would God punish all of those people? They're sitting listening to somebody religious who's not preaching a gospel. It's, is it really the people's fault? Here's what God says. Verse 13. Then I, Jeremiah, said, Ah, Lord God, behold, the prophets... The prophets say to them, you shall not see the sword, nor shall you have famine, but I will give you assured peace in this place. The false teachers were given a bad message. They were saying, no judgment's coming. Let's, uh, let's be happy. You don't want to hear messages of sin and judgment by Jeremiah. He's a downer. Don't bring him to your birthday party. You want us. Hey, if you smile, God is going to be happy. And if you give a dollar, he's going to give you 10. Trust me. They were good at this game. Verse 14, here's what God says about those false teachers and the followers. The Lord said to me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, a worthless thing in the deceit of their heart. Sometimes we think the false teachers are only spurred by Satan. But actually, a lot of these false pastors that are preaching a different message, they're just simply deceived. They're simply deceived about the way of salvation. And they're bringing many people to hell with them. As for the people, verse 16, and the people to whom they prophesy shall be cast out in the streets of Jerusalem because of the famine and the sword. They shall have no one to bury them, them nor their wives, their sons nor their daughters, for I will pour um, their wickedness, for I will... Um, pour their wickedness on them. You know what? It is no excuse if you get caught up in a false cult. Think of all the people that are in false cults, preaching false gospels. There's millions of them. And God says, I've given you my light, I've given you my, my message, and you've got evangelists, you've got people with the gospel going out and sharing you're, there's no excuse for you. You can't be just. You can't be excused from punishment because you followed a, a false teacher. Do you see how important truth is? Do you see how important truth is in this world? Um, most people easily believe a lie. 
And they'll, they'll easily and, and willingly follow a lie, but it'll be only to their eternal death and, and destruction. So God says, you can't blame the false teachers. Even though they're evil, I'll deal with them. But anybody who does not follow the truth, they're on their own. So verse 17, Therefore you shall say this word to them, Let my eyes flow with tears night and day, and let them not cease. For the virgin daughter of my people has been broken with a mighty stroke, with a very severe blow. The response is not, Ha, you deserve it. You didn't follow the truth, so there you go. That's not the response. Remember Jesus' response in Luke 19 as he's looking over Jerusalem at the triumphal entry? He's up there on the most triumphant, joyful day because he's being acknowledged as son of David, king, and he weeps. He weeps because he knows many, most are lost and will go to hell when they die. When the Romans come in and destroy the city, when they die, they're going to a place of torment. The apostle Paul, when he looked at his Jewish countrymen, the Jewish countrymen treated Paul so badly, right? They always had him arrested. They always were abusing him and um, persecuting him. And yet Paul says, I cry for my Jewish countrymen, and I wish I could go to hell if only they would be saved. I don't know how many of us have that depth of feeling for the unsaved. We should never, ever think, well, good for them. We should never think that way. Our eyes should flow with tears night and day. Verse 18, If I go out to the field, then behold, those slain with the sword. God says when you go out in the field, when the days of the Babylonians, when they come, you go outside, you're going to see the fields littered with human carcasses, blood flowing all over the ground. God says, I don't enjoy that. He weeps over the the death of the wicked. It does not give him pleasure to send anybody to hell. God's not up in hell going, ha, another one. Yeah, God, yes. God's not up in heaven going, oh, I'm so glad those wicked people go to hell. Finally, oh, get them out of my hair. He's never like that. It does not bring pleasure for God to send one person to a lake of fire ever, ever. So he says, if I go to the field, you're going to see the slain with the sword. If you go into the city, behold, you're going to see people sick from the famine. Remember, the soldiers haven't gotten into the city yet, so they're starving to death and and they're dying because they have no food. Yes, both prophet and priest go about in a land they do not know. So here's the final plea, verse 19. Have you utterly rejected Judah? Has your soul loathed Zion? What's the answer? Has God totally rejected Zion and totally re- rejected and loathed Judah? And the answer is no. He's got an eternal plan for Israel. So even though this generation is going to perish by the Babylonians, some will stay alive, Jesus will be born, and even after 2,000 years of the church age, God is going to restore the nation Israel in their land as a believing people. God is good for his promises. He made a promise that Israel will always be on earth and that there will be a believing nation at the end. So the answer is, have you utterly rejected Judah? No, he hasn't. Has your soul loathed Zion? The answer is no, not completely. Why have you stricken us so that there is no healing for us? What's the answer to that? Why did God stricken them? He says, why have you stricken us that there is no healing for us? Why did, why did God do this? 
Because God laid out the stipulations right away, didn't he? He said, if you have me, if you have faith in me, eternal and blessings upon blessings. If you turn from me and serve other gods, God says, I will not share my glory with others. If you serve other gods and try to serve me at the same time, you'll lose and you get cursed. I mean, God made it very clear. There was no fine print. Why were, why were they being stricken? They were disobedient, rebellious, hard-hearted sinners who loved their sin and wanted to follow the dictates of their own hearts. Now let's talk New Testament, because this is Israel, and this is, we're not Israel, praise the Lord. But we have a different relationship with the Lord. We're not in a covenant relationship with the Lord. We are children of the Father. And in Hebrews 12, what does a good father do? Does a good father let their young son or daughter play in the road when there's lots of semis going by? No, that would be a terrible father to let your son or daughter do that. You would take your young child out of the road and say, listen, let me talk to you and let me give you some rules. Why do you need rules? You need some boundaries so you don't cross my rules, my boundaries. You cross my boundaries, you're going to end up in the road dead. So I'm doing this to protect you so you can have an abundant and a glorious life so you will not go in the road. And if they continue going in the road, what happens? The discipline gets more severe. And then pretty soon, it's very severe, but it's done out of love, not out of hate. So you and I, when we choose right now as believers to go off and go our own way, to live according to the evil dictates of our own heart, God is going to, he will step in and he will discipline, but not to punish. He disciplines to correct to holiness. That's his goal. He wants a holy child. He wants holy people. So we are being trained for righteousness by the disciplining hand of God. Now, how does the discipline feel? Anybody remember getting spanked by your dad when you were young? I do. I remember the razor strap and my dad's hand. Neither one were pleasant. And we were not growing, we didn't grow up as a saved family, but my dad knew boundaries and he'd be like, Brian, I said this and you didn't do it. There's your, there's your discipline. What he wanted was he wanted an, an obedient son who loved him with his whole heart. Same with our Father in heaven, who, who gives perfect discipline. Hey, and guess what? Isaiah 28 says, God's discipline is just the right touch for just the right amount of time. He never disciplines too harshly or too long. He knows our heart, he knows our situation, and he knows exactly what we need to get us back on track. Aren't you thankful for that? So Isaiah 28 ends, God is wonderful in mercy and great in wisdom. He has the wisdom as to how to discipline, and he's got the right touch. Praise God for that. And so we finish the text with this. Israel says in verse 19, We looked for peace, but there, was no, but there was no good. And for the time of healing, there was trouble. We acknowledge, O Lord, our wickedness and the iniquity of our fathers, for we have sinned against you. Do not abhor us for your name's sake. Do not disgrace the throne of your glory. Remember, do not break your covenant with us. Well, that's interesting. They think God will break the covenant. Who has broken it? They have. And the only response is to turn to the Lord in faith. Faith alone. Well, God's not going to break his covenant, but they think he might. Verse 22, are there any among the idols of the nations that can cause rain? What's the answer? Is, can any false god bring rain? No, only the one true God. Or can the heavens give showers? Not without the Lord's permission. Are you not he, O Lord our God? Hmm. Therefore we will wait for you, since you have made all these. Well, that's the message. 
What do we learn from it? Remember, in Jeremiah 14, God has said he's finished with the people. He has reached a day when grace is not offered. In the days of Noah, was there a time when grace was, not, was offered? Yes. For many years, as Noah was building the great ark, there was one door and it was open. And Noah preached and said, anyone who wants to be delivered from this worldwide flood of judgment, enter the ark by faith and you will be saved. And the door was open and the family gets in with the animals. There's eight in the ark with the animals. And for seven days, the door is still open. They, they don't go out for seven days. They just don't know when the door is going to shut. They're in there for seven days and people are walking by and Noah's probably at the edge of the door going, come in, come in before it's too late. Ah, Noah, you're foolish. It'll never happen like you say. It'll never happen. And then the hand of God closes the door of the ark and the day of entering the ark is over and now judgment falls. That is true. Is there coming a day when, the, when grace will no longer be offered during the church age? Yes. When the church is raptured, anybody alive is not in the church age. Now, can they still be saved? I believe, yes, they can. But they have to respond to the gospel. But ultimately, God is going to end this whole program, and all who are believers will be eternally blissful in heaven, and all who are unsaved will be eternally tormented in hell. But there's coming a day when everybody's decision will have been made and grace will no longer be offered. Do you know that? There is coming a day when grace will no longer be offered because everyone will either be saved because of grace or they will be in hell tormented because of the rejection of grace. So right now, the day of grace is wide open. We should see floods of people coming in. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this text. And Jeremiah's response, he wants to pray a prayer of repentance for the people, and yet you tell him not to pray for the people. And the false teachers, they're not to blame. They are to blame because they've misled the people, but the people should have known better. They should have gone to the truth. They should have gone to your word. And so ultimately judgment is is coming, and Jerusalem's doomed, and the people will be captive and dead, and and all they can do now is, is trust you through this whole process. And so thank you for teaching us that even our right response to people rejecting the gospel or rejecting your word is never enjoyment. It is always tears. We weep for those who live in sin and love their sin. We weep for them. We want them to be saved and to be restored back to you. So we pray, Father, that through this church and through its evangelism this week, lost sinners can find a home in Christ. Oh, I pray that we, as we give the gospel this week, people will be saved. And maybe even for believers who have turned aside and they have wandered a little in the, in the world's ways, that they would return to you in faith and repentance, that they would humble themselves and confess their sin and be renewed to a fellowship with you. Thank you again, Father, that our salvation is eternal and it cannot be taken away. But you do discipline us. And we want to be children that learn from discipline. So whatever you send us this week, we hope and pray to take with grace and with understanding and humility. And so we want to grow to be children marked by holiness and uprightness, integrity, wholesomeness, that you might not be blasphemed. Oh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.